Father, we do believe in you because you have given us the ability to believe. Because we believe, we are justified by our belief in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are all here because of you. And we praise you and we thank you. And we pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word this morning. And as always, Father, I pray that you would take me out of the equation and that it would be you speaking through me to everybody that you have in your sovereignty brought here this morning. Build your church. Build Bible Chapel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You take a seat. Get your Bibles out if you would. You can turn to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. I always forget the best part, watching the kids leave. It's good to see the young ones, isn't it? We have got to do something about this because I feel like I'm leaning this way. It's like half here that's over there, okay? Maybe the larger people can sit over here. Like I would sit over here if it were me, you know, kind of balance it out, but... Yeah, so... Oh, God bless you, Colette. See, she's chosen. She's the, the eternal elect, all that. So, thank you. I'll just look at Colette all morning during the sermon. How's that? That won't make her feel awkward at all, right? Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19, but we'll focus on this verse. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we went over this last week, but we didn't go over verse 21. And we're not really going to look at this that much this morning. But the key verse, it's the entire section of Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, really is verse 21. And it's a very convicting verse for some if not all. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, last week we took a a broad view of what the Bible says about wealth. We briefly touched on Matthew 6, 19 to 24, but I wanted to take a look at these verses, 19 to 21, to provide even more clarity for us as an introduction. What you don't know is that what the word treasure means in this verse. It's a Greek word, boy, how do you pronounce this? Thesaurizon, something like that. And this is what it actually means, to treasure up treasures. Okay, to treasure up treasures. And it refers to wealth or luxuries or, or extras, okay? All the possessions in which God has given us. Okay, the accumulation of money. Now, remember last week I said it's not wrong to accumulate money or possessions which are then invested not only in your enjoyment but also in God's purposes. And some examples of God's purposes would be 
for example, the care of your immediate family. He gives you, provides for you to care for your, your husbands, for your wives, and for your children and your immediate family. The care for your church family. Uh, the care for even those who are not of the family of God, unbelievers, but they have a need. For example, an unbelieving poor person. God has a heart for the poor. Uh, care for the causes of God around the world, i.e. ministries, to which people who are, who are oppressed, so you're, you're investing these ministries to people who are oppressed and who are investing in ministries that focus on reaching souls with the gospel. Okay? For example, a ministry that you could support of an oppressed people would be the unborn. Okay? That would be a good use of the treasure God has given you. But, this is where it gets hard for us, to selfishly hoard treasures, i.e. the building the bigger barns, remember that parable last week, that is motivated by a heart of greed and covetousness, is that which our Lord says, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Now, again, if there's one verse that summarizes Jesus' thought on treasures, it's verse 21 up here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's a story told of a farmer who one day, he bounded joyfully into his kitchen and exclaimed to his wife with a great big grin on his face that their finest cow had just given birth to twins, one brown and one white. He said, I feel the impulse to dedicate one of these cows to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, and when they are at a marketable age, we'll sell them and we'll keep the proceeds from one, and then we'll give the proceeds from the other to the Lord. Now his wife went right to the issue, as wives are prone to do, and of course she said, what? Well, which is the Lord's cow? The white one or the brown one? He replied, well, there's no need to worry about that, dear, or to decide that now since we'll raise them together. Some months later, he entered the same kitchen looking very sad. His wife asked him why he was so sullen, to which he replied, I have bad news. The Lord's cow died. Now, we laugh at that story, I believe, because we can identify with the farmer. You know, there is a great temptation to lay up treasures on earth, to be rich towards self and poor towards God. So it's usually God's cow that dies, right? Or you want to make us feel better about our guilt and our selfishness, we justify it by saying the Lord took his cow home. Right? But this story illustrates Jesus' point of Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because, folks, it really is when it comes to giving all about the heart. And I want to show you that when your heart is right, your giving out of your treasure will be right too. So turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. It's in the Old Testament, so kind of go to the middle of the Bible and make a left. You'll get to Nehemiah chapter 
8. We'll look at the first four verses. We'll read those this morning in chapter 10, but just listen. Is everybody there? You know the joke, right? Nehemiah was a very short man. How tall was he? Knee high. high. Yep, there you go. I'm trying to make people that don't know where this book is feel comfortable. I'm trying to distract everybody until everyone gets there because it's not an easy book to find. Nehemiah, okay? It says this. And this is, by the way, Nehemiah was used by the Lord to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. After the wall is built, we read this in chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read them, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday. Now you're talking about a long church service, okay? We get an hour, hour and a half, people are dying. Okay, this is like four or five hours, all right? In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and again, the whole idea is the people are all together and they're understanding, really for the first time, the book of the law. It says, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, the question is this. What was the result of the reading and understanding of God's word? Well, what happens is, if you would read on, is that a revival breaks out. And it includes the conviction of sin that's manifested in weeping. You see that in chapter 8, verse 9? The people were weeping over their sin. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. They were confessing their sin. You see that? Then in chapter 9, verses 3 through 37, they're praising God. Now, all of that leads to an actual change or repentance. That's chapters 10, verses 28 through 39. Now, the question is this, and you can just follow along in your Bible as I'm going to read this. What kind of repentance is happening in people's lives? Look at verse 28 of chapter 10. We also, again, after hearing the word of God, weeping, confessing their sin, came praising God, they do this. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the, house, for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moon, or the appointed times, for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. Likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites and the people, so that they might bring it to the house of our God, according to our Father's households, at fixed times annually, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law, and that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually." and to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks as it is written in the law. 
for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. So in other words, you're seeing this, right? Written in the law, written in the law, written in the law. They're understanding the word of God for the first time and what's required. We also will bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine, and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God and the tithe of our ground the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. Verse 38, the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. When the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tent of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions, contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary. The priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. So what was the first act of repentance? It was a change in how they managed their treasure. You catch that? They began to give to God. You see, when a heart is right, your treasure is directed towards God. Now, you know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? A chief tax collector, he encounters Jesus, and what's the first thing he says? Look at the story. He believes in Jesus Christ, his heart is transformed, I give half I own to the poor. Then he goes and says, I'll give four times, I'll make restitution, give four times to those I've cheated. A transformed heart manifests itself in what? How you manage your money. The rich young ruler, what was holding him up between connecting to God? His, his treasure. His heart wasn't transformed and he would not part with his treasure. So the very first thing that is converted, that is transformed in the life of a Christian, is their treasure, how they manage their money. So let's talk about the first capital campaign. This was eye-opening for me to go through this. It was very good to prepare this. I took the board through part of this on Tuesday night. Turn to Exodus chapter 35. This is the first ever capital campaign. Exodus 35. So this is easy. Genesis followed by Exodus. Genesis followed by Exodus. Chapter 35. And I'm going to give you, I believe it is, eight giving principles in this story. This is the building of the tabernacle, the people of Israel. Chapter 35, verse 4. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, and blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, and ram skin dyed red, and porpoise skins, and acacia wood, and oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod, and for the breast piece. What are some giving principles out of this? Here's the first point. 
first principle. It was God's will. Very clear. This is what the thing the Lord has commanded. They were to build a building, a tabernacle for the Lord. Number two, what court contribution was it? It was the Lord's contribution. Did you see that? Verse five, take from among you a contribution to who? It's to the Lord. Okay. So often we think that our giving is we're giving to the church, for example. You know, and even the giving to the Levites of the meats and the, the wood and so on, you're giving to who? The Lord. You are, and here's the point, and you'll see us in the two stories we look at. You are giving back to God what is already his. Okay? Because you'll see, if you were to go previous in Exodus chapter, I think it starts verse 20 or 32, chapter 32, I think. He lays out all of the things, actually take it back, it's verse 20, chapter 28. All of these things I just read to you are listed. It's a long list of stuff. And in chapter 32 is the story of the golden calf. They deal with that. In chapter 35, we have this, the building of the, beginning of the building of the tabernacle. But all the specifics are laid out there. Now, here's the thing. Where do they get this stuff? Because where are they? Desert, in the wilderness. Where did they get all this? They brought it out of Egypt, most likely, because the Egyptians gave it to them just to get rid of them, as was prophesied by the Lord, okay? They were so tired of all the plagues, take this stuff, go, okay? Now, when they were given this stuff, put yourself in their mindset. You're leaving, Finally, after 40 years of slavery, you're going to go follow Moses, walk through the Red Sea, all of that. You've seen all these miracles. You're set free as a people, and they're just throwing these treasures at you. And you haven't had that all your life. Now you have it. What do you think the temptation was for the people? To keep it, right? But they're, they're, I'm rich now. I am rich. Little did they know that what they were given, at least a portion of it, and maybe a good portion of it, years later, God was going to say, I'm going to use this to build a tabernacle. So God gave them in advance, here's the point, what they were going to need later on in the future to fulfill his will. All that you have now, this is personally, all the the treasure, all the, the surplus, all the wealth, all the luxury you have now, you've been given by God, it's his, to be used for a future purpose. Okay? And in this instance, in this story, it's a capital campaign to build a tabernacle. But the other point that's obviously, this is the huge point that you'll see over and over and over again, and how it ties into Matthew 6, 21, that where your treasure is or your heart will be also, is look at uh, the phrase, it was willingly given from the heart. Do you see that? It was willingly given from the heart. Whoever is of a willing heart. You see that? So God instructed Moses to collect an offering from whoever is of a willing heart. And you'll see that the text frequently informs us that this was the case. Four other times, I believe, in this chapter, of a willing heart. Every indication of our text is that the people gladly gave their gifts. So the tabernacle could be built. 
And this shows, by the way, God's normal way of, of directing his resources to his work. By the gifts God given his people with a willing heart. God would cause the money and materials to appear by, he could cause the money, materials to appear by a miracle, yet he chose to fund his work through the willing gifts of his people. He works this way, I think, because we need to be a giving people. We need to be like God, who is the first and foremost generous giver. But it comes from a willing heart. And what you'll find out, as I've learned over the years, is not everyone has a willing heart. You want to expose your heart? As you'll see as you go through this sermon, look at your checkbook, look at your giving. Number four, it was planned. There was a, a blueprint or a specific design that required specific resources and skills, thus the detail of all the stuff that was needed. So still, it was God's will, it was the Lord's contribution, it came through a willing heart, okay, and it was planned. Now after God revealed he would require skilled craftsmen in verses 10 through 19 of chapter 35, we find an interesting verse, and I want everyone to go look at verse 20, and it reveals another huge giving principle, huge. So the, the need is known, okay, and look at verse 20. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Now what does that mean? It's this principle here. Tied into willing heart, it was voluntary. There was no manipulation. Thus when you see at times televangelists, people asking for the money and so on and so forth, or some of you have been a part of denominations that they literally will come to your home each year and figure out what you're to give. And they follow up with your giving and they will continue to harass you if you don't give. That was one of the reasons why a, a, a former relative of ours who passed away got turned off from the Catholic faith and turned off from God is because of the Catholic faith's practices with money. There's no manipulation here with these people. There's no manipulation here with what we're doing. It's voluntary. But Moses dismissed the people so that they had time to themselves, apart from any outside pressure, to determine what they could and should contribute. And this, of course, I mean, it makes perfect biblical sense. God loves a... How about, does God love a compulsory giver? No, it's a cheerful giver. It's not obtained. The gift isn't obtained under some kind of emotional duress or manipulation. It was voluntary. Look at verses 21 through 29. Now watch this. Everyone whose what? Heart stirred him. There we go. First time you see that. And everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution. Again, we're giving back to God for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service for the holy garments. Then all whose... Hearts moved them, both men and women came and brought brooches, is that brooches, brooches? I don't know how you say that. And earrings and signet rings and bracelets, that's gotta be the women, right? They're bringing all this stuff, okay? All articles of gold 
So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Every man who had his possessions blue and purple and scarlet material, maybe a little scarlet and gray, and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin dyed red and porpoise skins brought them. Again, the things that they're needed, they had, and what are they bringing? Exactly what's needed. Why did they have it? Lord gave it to them. Now the Lord needs it. We don't own it, folks. You're a steward. You've been given it for a while, and in the end, you're going to end up in a box, and what you have left will go to somebody else. It's his. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the skilled women spun their hands and brought what they had spun it in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. All women whose what? Heart stirred with the skill spun the goat's hair. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. Yes, it was of the heart, it was voluntary, but this text also tells us it was proportional. Okay? Those who had wealthy, those who were wealthy gave what only the wealthy would possess, the finest stones and gems, the most precious oils and fragrances. The last half of that verse was the expensive stuff. Everybody had goat's hair, for the most part, okay? But those that could give goat's hair, what did they do? They gave it. Not everybody had the finest fragrances and the finest stones or jewelry, but those who got it given more, they still gave, okay? And those who had lesser means gave what they had. So certainly, here's the point I love, a gift of goat's hair could be just as welcome in God's sight as a gift of gold if it was given with the right heart. Amen? Amen. It was also universal. Universal giving. You see that? All, the, all types of people gave. All classes, rich and, and not as rich, men and women the princes, the people, young and old, men and women. So the giving also included, notice this, it was material goods and technical services. God was raising up individuals who would do the work, and they gave in that way as well. Some of those who gave to the tabernacle gave of their goods, while many others gave of their skilled abilities to create a place of great beauty and worth. I saw this play out specifically at the previous church, at Crossview Church, with a man by the name of P.K. Data. P.K. Data was out of work when I, I arrived in uh, March 2009, and was always out of work or in and out of work my time he was there, until he finally been, began working more regularly. And because he was coming to the church, had come to Christ through a neighbor, and was coming to our church, and was consistently looking for work, the church would help him financially. When we introduced the second capital campaign, which was my first capital campaign, called Fan the Flame, Play the Game, he didn't have 
you know, the money. Now, was he wealthy? Let me be very clear on this. Was he wealthy? Yes. What do you mean, wealthy? Did he have extra? Yes. Everybody in America, folks, you are wealthy. You are rich. Go to Africa. Go to Moldova. Go to Russia. You have an abundance. Okay? So was he wealthy? Yes. Was he living paycheck to paycheck? No, because he didn't have a job. Was he really wealthy? No, but he was wealthy. But he couldn't really give much. But what could he give? He was a salesman. You want to know what PK Daddy did? We would have fundraisers, and he would go to the stores, and using his salesman gifts, get donations from these stores, which in turn we would use as raffles and so on and so forth, to raise money for our capital campaign. Piquet used to work in the landscaping business, so he and I would be at night, if I forgot to put the picture up here, but of the church, it was a small church about this size of a, well, maybe not this big of a lot in the old location. The location, I think, was 17 acres. We sold three to raise some money, so we had 14 acres. Then there was the actual parking lot and building. We had 11 acres to landscape and, and, and seed in the midst of a drought. Do you know what we did? I had a plumber, uh, and we went to Menards, and we got this, um, gener- not a generator, but a, um, yeah, but a generator, and would pump water out of the pond we had there to all of these uh, hoses, to all of these sprinklers that we bought, and we were watering. And guess what would happen with the generator? It would run out of gas, so someone would have to put gas in it and make sure the sprinkling system was working. Many night, I was out there at 10 o'clock at night, moving some of the sprinklers. Guess who was out there with me and who I put in charge of all of that? PK Data. He couldn't give any money. But do you know how much money he probably ended up giving in terms of, of his service? How much would it cost us to put in an irrigation system to water 11 acres? That's a lot of money. You see, he gave because of his heart. Look at verse chapter 36, verses 2 through 7. I love this story. Then Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab, and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone who's what? Chapter 36, verse 2. Heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it, they received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Verse 4, And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing. And they said to Moses, The people are what? They're bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. And I have never seen this before happen. But Moses issued a command saying, basically, stop bringing in money. Stop giving. We have more than enough. 
Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more, for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. And that's the next point. It was abundant giving. The gift, or the gifts, exceeded the need. So Moses was requested by the workers to command the people to stop giving. Now, this follows the pattern of God's giving to us. God gives us much more than we ever need. Who has more than you really need? Every hand should be raised. You have more than enough. So our giving should simply be a response to his abundant, generous giving. Now, whenever I read this story in Exodus, I remember the Malawi, Malawi attraction. It's a story of one community's journey of sacrificial giving. It's Whittier Area Community Church in Southern California had a collective vision to build a hospital for orphans in Malawi, Africa, a densely populated country in South Central Africa. So in other words, it's another capital campaign, a building. The church's leaders were convicted, or convinced rather, that God was calling them to collect a special Christmas offering to build the hospital. Yet when they determined that to build such a structure would cost $160,000, they became discouraged. The church's largest ever Christmas offering in their 35-year history was just $25,000. Yet they pressed on. The leaders cast the vision to the congregation, and the whole church got involved in amazing ways. Children set up Malawi lemonade stands in their neighborhoods to raise money. One couple gave the money they previously had set aside for infertility treatments to provide for African children instead. One woman gave up a full month of physical therapy to join the contagious spirit of generosity that swept over the church. She sounds an awful lot like the giving to the tabernacle, doesn't it? It was contagious, and people were eager to give. That's why the story fits so well. And on and on, the stories were countless. Yet it wasn't just the church members that got engaged. Believers in other congregations and even non-Christians from around the community learned about the Malawi hospital plan. New conversations sparked to life and soon giving commitments and words of support began pouring in from everywhere. And at last, the Christmas offering day came. And instead of 25000 or even $160,000, on that day, Whittier raised over $500,000. There was such an outpouring of generosity from both within and outside the church that its senior pastor, Bill Ankerberg, later exclaimed joyfully, generosity is the new evangelism. Now, one thing I do want to point out is that it's, it does say that there are those that whom the Lord worked, who had a willing heart. And, it, and there is a sense of that it was uh, almost everybody gave to this. But let's be realistic. Not everybody gave to that. Now, why would somebody not give out of what God has blessed them with? Go back to the phrase, willing heart. In order for a heart to be moved, it has to, first of all, be soft. And there were some people, obviously, as we would know, that had hardened hearts that were not moved and did not give. 
And I've seen that in every capital campaign that I've been a part of. Now, let's talk about the second, the first major donor fundraising dinner. Turn to First Chronicles 28. I don't know if you've ever been to, say, a, a CareNet fundraising dinner or some sort of something like that. Or, um, you, you know, by the way, do you know the reason why organizations, youth groups, uh, nonprofits do uh, golf outings for fundraisers? If you ever watch golf and you ever watch the NFL, I challenge you to do this. Watch the NFL and the Bud Light commercials that go along with that, okay? Watch golf and the commercials that are... Uh, associated with golf, there are, a lot of them are investment from commercials, higher-end stuff, Rolex watches. The British Open is all going on right now. Rolex watches are, are the common commercial. You play golf, people who play golf, it's an expensive game to, to have more wealth so that they can give more, right? Well, here's a, a, King David has a major donor fundraising dinner. This is the first ever, maybe in all of history. First Chronicles 28, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the princes of the tribes. Is everyone there, by the way, First Chronicles 28? And the commanders of the divisions that serve the king, and the commanders of thousands, and the commanders of hundreds, and the overseers of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, with the officials and the mighty men, even all the valiant men. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, so I had made preparations to build it. Do you remember the story? David wanted to build God a temple. God said, Great idea. You're a man of war. You shed blood. You can't do it. Your son Solomon will do it. So before his death, David amasses all of this resources for the building of the temple, not the tabernacle, but the actual golden temple, okay? But what we see in this instance, one of the giving principles or capital campaign principles is this, is it was strategic. Who was at this event? Officials of Israel, princes of the tribes, commanders, those who oversaw all the property and livestock, even the valiant men, in other words, they were people had wealth. Now, they all were wealthy, but these people really had wealth. Okay? The success of any capital campaign depends on the wealthiest donors. Because the one who's been given much, much is expected. So it was strategic. And that was one of the first things I learned when I got to Crossview Church in Grable and they needed to do another capital campaign, because I had a fundraising background, I was involved in every detail of all the giving in the fundraising. I don't know anything here. I won't know anything here. I don't want to be involved in the finances. That church needed me to do that, so I did that. I knew who gave what and who the bigger givers were and so on and so forth. And that's where I learned that those who have the wealthiest, they determine really the success or the failure of a capital campaign. They can give more. And why can they give more? Folks, what's the answer? God has given them more. It was God's plan to give them more. There are those that God creates, he, he, he brings to life, 
that can make money, that, that they can create wealth. That's how he made them. And one of the purposes for those people was to be generous in their giving, to fund ministries, okay? In Campus Crusade years ago, we had a group called the History's Handful. These were multi-million dollar billionaires that were believers that the ministry would go to and they would you know, give a million dollars or more to the ministry. And that funded a lot of things that ministries do. The second thing was, you'll see that this was planned. Again, same principle. David made preparations to build the temple. He had a blueprint, folks. And those preparations were very detailed, as you see in verses 20, chapter 28, verses 11, 19, reveal. He had a blueprint for the construction of the temple. I won't read those verses, but it was very specific. Okay? Now turn to 1 Chronicles 29. Verse 1, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1, through verse 5a. So he's gathered all these people, starts to cast a vision. This is what he says. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple was not for man, but for the Lord our God. Now with all my ability... I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold and the silver for the things of silver and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and inlaid stones, stones of antimony, I have no idea what that is, and stones of various colors and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. Now where did he get that from? All Again, think of the sovereignty of God. God made David king, and he conquered all these countries. And God knew that he was going to eventually build a temple. So where could David gather all this from? All those nations that had conquered. And that's what he did up until this point in time when he's having this major fundraising dinner. And look what he says, starting in verse 3. Moreover, in my delight, I, my heart, a willing heart, in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold. So now we're talking about King David's personal wealth of gold and silver I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. So all those years he gathered all that stuff for his son from those countries that, he, that were now under his rule. He gives all of his treasure that he had amassed. Now folks, there are some that say that David's treasure alone was, in, was worth billions. Okay? Billions. And look what it says here. Namely, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the buildings of gold for the things of gold and of silver for the things of silver. That is, for all the work done by the craftsmen. And this is the second principle or third principle we see. In this instance, this capital campaign was started by a large personal gift from a wealthy leader. It's important that the leaders be behind the campaign. Leaders should be an example in all things, including giving. Now look at First Chronicles 29, the last half of verse 5. Who then 
is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. What is that? Well, that is a challenge appeal. David appeals to his local tribal leaders to set an example of themselves in giving. What was the response? Look at verses 6 through 9. Then the rulers of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's work and again offered what? Willingly. And for the service for the house of God, they gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold and 10,000 talents of silver and 18,000 talents of brass and 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had, again, offered so willingly Folks, it always goes back to the heart. For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. So again, we see this pattern of it was willingly given from the heart. Folks, it was also abundant. The money raised in that night of fundraising, some estimate the equivalent of 400 million to multiple billions of dollars depending on how you rate the money. That is an awful lot of money. But I would say it's not bad for the first major donor dinner, right? Now look at verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory in the majesty, indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is a dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Look at this. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things, what? Come from you. And from your hand, we have given you. We are, they gave back to God what was already his. That's the point here. You don't own it. You're a steward. I love verse 15. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our ways in the earth are like a shadow. And there is no hope. I'll explain that in a minute. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it's from who? Your hand, and all is yours. And it's this, the seventh principle is it was giving back to God. Again, David reminds his audience that God actually provides all our wealth and resources on loan to us. And our gifts are merely a small thank you back to God. But I like verse 15 because it's, it, it reminds me of this, that it was an investment really in the eternal. He did remind his audience that the earth is not our home. That we are sojourners whose citizenship is in heaven. We are to fix our eyes not on what is seen, right? We're not the earth. 
We don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Ah, but what is unseen, what's in heaven? That's forever. That's eternal. Part of giving is having an eternal perspective. A proper understanding of stewardship, but also an eternal perspective. In other words, laying up treasures in heaven. And by giving to God what is already his, we are laying up treasures in heaven. I love this so much, I wanted to put it up there for everybody. This is a quote from G. Campbell Morgan. Oh, let me go back. Nope, I forgot about this. See, Don, I did use it. We have a blueprint for you guys. Just like they had a blueprint in these two stories, here is what we're looking to do, okay? Here is the old, I don't know if you can see that, if you need to make the lights darker. This is our current layout, okay? Um, there's the, the sidewalk here and so on. You can see the door here. It doesn't open up all the way. You see that? This is the sidewalk, and it's, you know, it goes to here, and then you know, most people walk this way or walk this way to the foyer, and there's the lawn. Here's the parking, okay? This is what we're proposing to do. It costs $60,000, is this, okay? Looks more like a normal parking lot, right? So here is a new concrete, and what does this door look like it's doing? Opens all the way. That door is used the most where Debbie and I are in and out and Roger often, and it's just getting ruined because it can only open like three quarters of the way. It needs to open all the way, okay? So that's gonna be widened. Notice that the concrete goes all the way to here. We wanted to save this tree, so we moved this over and gave it a straight shot here. I think it's about 10 feet wide, 10, 12 feet wide, yep. Okay. Less lawn to maintain. For some of us, that's a good thing. And you can see it's, it's, we add, I think, only one more parking space, but look how straight these lines are now. Okay? Yeah, less gophers if there are moles to take care of. Exactly. Okay? And Don has spent, there's a lot of detail that goes in this, just like you see here in these two stories, there's a lot of detail that goes in this. Don's done all the work on this. And so if you have any questions about this, you can uh, ask him about that. But that's the, the blueprint that we have, okay? Now to invest, though, in that which is eternal, this is a quote I want you guys to read. It's from G. Campbell Morgan. When we're giving, it's important to remember to live our lives with an eternal perspective because this is not our home. He says this, you remember with the passion burning within you that you are not the child of today. You are not of the earth. You are more than dust. You are the child of tomorrow. You are the eternities. You are the offspring of deity. The measurement of your life cannot be circumscribed by the point where blue sky touches green earth. All the fact of your life cannot be compassed into one small sphere upon which you live. You belong to the infinite. If you make your fortune on the earth, poor, silly, silly soul, you have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. We cannot, folks, as kingdom people, lay up treasure on earth. It is not characteristic of a citizen of his kingdom. 
Now, in my preparation for this sermon, I came across a, a thought that I want to share with you in a moment here, as I considered, now this will be my third capital campaign, but I want to share a couple stories. I wanted to help the board, we were at a board meeting on Tuesday night, we went over some of this stuff, and um, how are we going to record this stuff financially so you guys get your tax deduction and so on and so forth, and track everything. And so, um, I found some old files, and I gave, made some copies and sent it to, to Don and so on. And I came across the old fan to flame play the game capital campaign. I'm not going to mention any names, but it really drove home the point I learned in preparation for this sermon. There was a gentleman that gave a, a, a five-figure gift in their first campaign called fan to flame back at, at Crossview Church. Um, and the second campaign, even though he was wealthy. Now, when I say wealthy, okay, I mean very wealthy. Now, not like really, really super wealthy, but he was very, very wealthy. Not living paycheck to paycheck. He was retired. He and his wife, they both had worked, and they had money. Um, they were blessed. He gave $350 to this next campaign, and in the final campaign, he didn't give anything. The second person... She was really, really wealthy. She gave $150 to the second campaign and nothing to the third campaign. Well, why? Well, they were of this older group that really didn't want to move. They were the group that tried to divide the church and vote me out. Did they have a willing heart? Where the heart is, there your treasure is, okay? Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Now, there's a quote I came across, and I had, was really taken back by this quote. I'm going to read it to you. I don't know the guy's name other than his last name is Cole, and I looked up everywhere to try to find who it was, and I couldn't find it. But I had never had this thought when I read this about the, the previous capital campaigns I've been a part of. This is what this gentleman wrote. Says that, and this was in, in, in regards to Exodus 35 and all the giving that was going on and all the joy of giving, the excitement of giving, the contagious spirit of giving. There are still people that didn't give, and this is what he said. It must have been both a disappointment and a frustration to those who had delayed their gifts because they could not bear to part with their treasures and who now found that God had no further need of them. His work was finished, but they had excluded themselves from any share in it. And he writes this, God delivers from such a frustration. That quote right there doesn't apply to those two people I shared with you. Men of hearts were so hardened. There was no frustration in their part. In fact, the, the lady, a couple years later, I was, was, made some comments about her, her, her finances, and, and one of the leaders of the church came to my office and had a separate meeting and exhorted me to go and talk to her about her unhealthy view of her money, which I knew was useless because the heart wasn't there. The heart was so hard it was incapable of feeling. Let me contrast that with the name or a story of two other people. This one lady, who will remain nameless, was a paycheck to paycheck person. Now, folks, again, was she wealthy? Yes, she had some extra, for sure. And when I saw her name and saw at the end of the year, 
to the fan the flame play the game, she had given $10. And I saw the names of those other two people. Who gave more and who was pleased to give more? It was her, even though it was only $10. Then the gentleman who gave $350, the lady gave $150, and they had way more, and whose heart was not right. She just wanted to be a part of it and gave what she could. Then I saw the name of a, another couple. She used to work as a church secretary. He was an electrician. He served as an elder in a church. He was a good friend of mine. He died of a heart attack in July 2013. They, so they, were they wealthy? Yes. Were they like very, very wealthy like those two others? No. They gave $5,000 to the Fan the Flame Play the Game campaign. So again... The focus that we're seeing over and over and over again in these two stories, what was was repeated over and over and over again? A willing heart. A willing heart. A whole heart. Uh, It's all about the heart. Thus, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. And a good sign that you are actually a believer, that your life is being transformed, is you're generous. Because that's what gets transformed. Because let's face it, it's so necessary, and there's such a pull to be of the earth. It's like a magnet, and to, to, to find security in a bank account amount, or in your investments, your 401ks, or your pensions. No, you don't, you don't live that way. God provides for you. And so when you give, again, the application point's the same thing as last week, praying fast, because next week we'll turn in our pledge cards. I'll bring the elders up, and we'll pray at the beginning of the service. We'll put our cards in, and we'll put the cards in, and at the end of the service we'll, we'll total up, and you'll know before you leave what the total amount is. That's kind of you do a commitment uh, Sunday. But, folks, it all goes back to the heart. So you see how consistent the Old and New Testaments are? Willing heart, willing heart. And then what does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? I am going to pray, and then pray for the food, and we're just going to dismiss straight from here. Since it's it's almost noon. I should get a big amen from that one, right? He's finally done. Shut him up. Right? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We praise you that you have blessed us so much. And it is, I hope, out of grateful hearts that we are giving back to you. Even the food we are about to eat comes from you. And we ask that you will bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.